Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. So we're going to talk about that story of extirpation. We wiped it out and then we brought it back. And using Daniel Boone and the, the Long Hunters as the baseline to tell that story because of the geographical location that's right there at Cumberland Gap. You know, Daniel Boone probably set foot on, on some of the property that's on our lease. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world. We're back. It's Will. And Neil. What up, brother? A little different this week. We have a guest with a project that's close to home for Neil and I. It's the Booms Ridge Project. We're going to get into that with the CEO, Mr. David Ledford. But before that, Will, you got some app news of the week for me? Uh, I have a little bit. I recently returned from the Appalachian Leadership Institute session, session number four, but I wanted to talk about another leadership program, Bright, B-R-I-G-H-T, Kentucky. It is accepting applications for its 2023 class. This leadership program, excellent program, launched in 2019 and has graduated 170 professionals ranging in age from 21 to 40. It's for the Appalachian region of Kentucky, all Appalachian counties in Kentucky. They really focus on innovating, collaborating, and advancing community and economic development. So I just wanted to mention that the applications, if you're in one of those counties, are due mid-May. Excellent program, well worth your while. That's big time. You know, just shout out to them. Another little bit of news. I know we mentioned in the past the $500 million that the state of Ohio has put towards Appalachian counties. They just announced their first round of funding of $50 million of that $500 million of the Appalachian Community Grant Program. I'd get behind it for sure. That $50 million will go towards four projects in the Ohio 32-county Appalachian region. One of them is to for connecting communities throughout workforce training, the Utica Shell Academy of Ohio. It's a high school in Salemville and Columbiana County. It received $2.3 million to increase access to workforce training for at-risk, low-income, young adults, individuals, and families impacted by substance use disorders. The second grant is for at work in Appalachia. So the citizen, the city of Athens, Ohio, is receiving $17.6 million. It's a grant to revitalize an 80,000 square foot downtown space by rehabilitating six historic buildings, those being the Athens Armory, 
the Coshocton Collaborative in Coshocton County, Somerset Builders Club in Perry County, the Logan Theater and Community Arts Center in Hocking County, Hocking Hills Children's Museum in Hocking County, and Hocking Hills Chamber in Hocking County, which will include providing rentable co-working space, business incubation centers, community gathering space, and the creation and expansion of mental health services. The next one is, is the Survivor Advocacy Outreach Program in Nelsonville. They will receive $25.7 million grant to create a mental health drop-in center and advocacy trauma center and expand four new leaf recovery villages. The last one of the four, the Outdoor Recreation Council of Appalachia received $4.1 million grant to develop tourism and growth and grow healthcare access in Athens and Meigs counties. Sounds like great stuff going on. There's another little bit of news I wanted to talk about. It's an odd story. It's called the blotchy bass syndrome is a new virus that they found in fish. It's really all over North America, but there's this skin legions on smallmouth bass on several other types of fish, but the biosurveillance network have been tracking this to see just how far this virus has traveled in the fish. And they're using data to forecast where and when the virus might spread. They're asking people, they're referring to them as citizen scientists. You can actually log in at my on the MyCatch app. That's M-Y-C-H-T-C-H. And if you catch a fish and it has any type of these spots, you can take a photo to prove the spots and you can actually win some gift cards and some awards in West. This is specifically in West Virginia. It's called the blotchy bass bonanza. So I guess it's really important for the fish population, the overall long term health of the, this fish population. So it's really important for these scientists to track it and they're using citizens. So if you're a fisherman, you fish in this area, check out the My Catch app. And if you catch these fish that might have some of these spots, we'll, we'll post it in the show notes too. But take a photo, prove the spots, win some gift cards, win some money. That was the app news. I just want to keep it brief today. We got a good show with a great guest to talk about this amazing project that's ha that's happening in Bell County, Kentucky, where Neil and I grew up. So it hits a little different for us. It's very close to home, very close to our heart. I know we talk about home a lot on this show. So we just wanted to get right into it. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. show today we have a special guest david ledford he's the president and ceo of the appalachian wildlife foundation and of boone's ridge boone's ridge is a family friendly tourism destination in eastern kentucky that will offer diverse attractions and activities with the mission of bringing economic growth to the region so david we Greatly appreciate your time. We know you're busy, but thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for inviting me. As most Appalachians are big on history, big on tradition, Neil and I, our family's big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. 
we have this gigantic spread of appetizers bigger than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just a holiday <laughs> dish? <laughs> I didn't prepare for that. Uh, probably some of the holiday dishes is my wife makes homemade bread. That's just killer. Braided bread for holidays and Easter. We always have a, a pound cake. It looks like a lamb. So we have a lamb cake. Nice. You're fancy in your household. Yeah, yeah, she uh in the lamb cake and the the braided bread. That's probably the two things that pop in pop in my mind as far as traditional things like that. Nice. I don't think you can go wrong with bread. No. Butter or no butter, David? Oh, butter. Yeah. And <laughs> jelly, yeah. jelly, honey, molasses, uh, you know, just whatever. All the above. <laughs> yeah. Butter's kind of like brown sugar. You really can't have too much. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or, Duke, well, or Duke's Manor. Well, that all the big guns. You know, I mentioned Boone's Ridge, which is really why we have you on the show to talk about this tremendous project that you have going on in Eastern Kentucky. To let our listeners know, just what is Boone's Ridge? How did it originate? Where did the idea come from? Okay. Boone's Ridge is going to be a major national tourist attraction. The thing you got to have to have a major national tourist attraction is something that people want to do. They want to go there. They want to see it. They want to experience it. So you got to build that, but then you got to advertise and we are going to advertise, you know, they'll Kevin Costner movie, build it and they will come. <laughs> yeah. If they don't know about it, they won't come. And quite frankly, we've been doing this project for nine years now, and we've learned a lot about tourism across the state and just the general practice of tourism but also specifically in East Kentucky. And there's a lot of things that are done supposedly in the name of tourism. And you look at it and they're really not. They're creating recreational opportunities for local citizens, or they do something that's supposed to be for tourism and nobody ever knows about it. No, no there's no advertising budget. There's nothing. So they, they, do, they do something in some county and tourists will come here. Well, no. They're not because nobody knows about it. everybody in the county knows about it, but nobody else knows about it. Boone's Ridge is going to be very diverse. Of course, wildlife is a huge part of it. We uh, worked with the state to move 240 elk to the property. It took three years to do that. We spent about $700,000. They moved them from other, other counties in Kentucky in the elk zone. We got a lot of bears, a lot of deer. One of the things I immediately saw on this property I was really impressed with was the birds. We get an incredible abundance and diversity of bird species. It's it's really phenomenal. So we're going to appeal to bird watchers. There's 56 million bird watchers in the United States. Wow. And through Audubon, through the Cornell Lab of Ornithology and a couple other avenues, there's some very clear paths for advertising to those crowds. And I think we've documented now, we're up to about 148 species we've documented on the property. And that's through a whole calendar year. So a lot of these are, well, almost all of them are migratory. Just where did the name come from, Boone's Ridge? I think a lot of people don't realize in this part of eastern Kentucky about the Cumberland Gap, about Daniel Boone. Just just how did that name come to be? Yeah, we started out calling it the Appalachian Wildlife Center. And we started with that, knowing that long term that name wasn't going to work. For one, it had way too many syllables and it was too generic. It, there was no real appeal or charm to it. it wildlife Center... Some people immediately, we, we had different groups we, we discussed it with and focus groups. People immediately thought it was something owned by the state. And we absolutely did not want that. We knew we were going to change the name. And then as we got deeper into it, 
one of the main stories we're going to tell in our museum space, our natural history displays with all the wildlife, the, the main story we're going to tell is, and we use Daniel Boone and the Long Hunters as the baseline. But when Daniel Boone and the Long Hunters came to Kentucky, when they came to this part of the world, they were shocked at the wildlife populations they saw. And we've done a bunch of reading on this and studying. There was one quote out of one book where Boone said, I saw more bison in these mountains then I saw cattle in the Carolinas. They talk about the elk. It sounds like they were north of London, up near uh, Berea, where it drops off down into the sort of the flat ground going towards Richmond. They talk about riding horses through an, an unending turkey flock. Two days, they were seeing turkeys constantly. They talk about Canada geese they were seeing. Every stream, they talk about beavers, either a dam or something, about every 100 yards on every single creek. So they found this incredible abundance of wildlife, a white-tailed deer. I've been a deer hunter for 40 years. Some of the accounts I've read that talks about these groups of long hunters would come in, and they were market hunting, and they would kill white-tailed deer for the hides for clothing. The favorite hide they got from the white-tail was during the summertime. You know, a white-tailed deer is kind of red-looking. That's the hide they wanted to make clothing with. That was the most valuable. So you'd get... 15 guys that would come in and hunt for five months during the summer with flintlocks. And each guy was killing about 20 deer a day wow. for five months. I've been a deer hunter for, <laughs> I've been a deer hunter for 40 years. I don't know if I've ever been anywhere where I could do that with a minigun. The European settlers came to this country, found this incredible abundance of wildlife, and we wiped it out. It took about a hundred years to almost kill it all. We did lose the passenger pigeon, but I mean, elk were just about gone. There wasn't a deer in the state of Kentucky in 1900. There wasn't one in Tennessee. There were no deer in Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, none of them. They were gone, completely extirpated. The giant Canada geese were gone. The beavers were gone. The otters were gone. The elk were gone. The bears were gone. It, everything was gone. But then we spent the 20th century bringing all that wildlife back. It's called the North American Model of Wildlife Management. We're the only nation on earth that's ever done that. The only one to where deer, Canada geese are almost a nuisance now, and they are to some people. So we're going to talk about that story of extirpation. We wiped it out, and then we brought it back. And using Daniel Boone and the, the long hunters as the baseline to tell that story because of the geographic location. That's right there at Cumberland Gap. You know, and Daniel Boone probably set foot on, on some of the property that's on our lease. They traveled down Yellow Creek, and that is right off the western edge of our lease of the property. So uh, it was just a natural boon. You've got to call it something a boon. Yeah, I, I think growing up in that area, you kind of uh, take for granted the natural abundance, the beauty, the history that is Eastern Kentucky. From all that you said in regards to wildlife, just it, it's it's incredible. And, and as you grow up in it, you definitely take it for granted. Um, well, you do. When I was a kid growing up in East Tennessee, I hunted squirrels and grouse. And that's because <laughs> that's, that's all we had. I was 16 before I saw the first deer track on my dad's land. And um, I was 25 before I killed the first deer down there on my, my dad's land. But they just weren't there. Anybody that's 30 years old or less has no concept that this wildlife was gone. Everything was gone. And we brought it back and we can lose it again. You got to know that story so we can conserve it and have it forever. Yeah. I know you mentioned it not being owned by the state. The Appalachian Wildlife Foundation has actually created this, will own, will operate this, which I think makes this very unique in regards to tourist destinations. You mentioned the wildlife, but I understand it'll be developed in kind of four phases to include like a unique retail center, some other yeah. things in regards to that. Can you just talk about the four phases of development? I know it's been a nine-year process to this point and it still is not complete. 
yeah, other features we're going to have. Uh, in fact, I just had a conference call this morning with some of our consultants. One basic thing to, again, have a broad appeal to a lot of people. We're going to have the most killer playground for kids. Nice. That's important. <laughs> on the face of the planet. It is. And I just saw the, the recent rendering of it. It is phenomenal. It's I got seven grandkids. I got an eighth one on the way. I guarantee you they're going to love this place. I guarantee you that when a family comes to Boone's Ridge and their kids are on the playground, that, that playground is going to cause a lot of family grief because when the, the parents want to leave, the kids are going to freak out and cry. <laughs> but no, it's, it's so we're going to have this, this incredible playground. We're going to have the kids like a petting zoo. Uh, that's going to be really nice. A lot of a lot of diversity. We're going to have a small zoo. We're going to have a bear, a bobcat. We're going to have a bald eagle, three red tail hawks, a black vulture. I mean, I'm sorry, a turkey vulture and uh, a barred owl. We've got some raptors that we'll have on display. These are birds that were wounded, went to rehab. Now they can't fly. And instead of killing them, they were saved and uh, they're being raised and used for display and education. Yeah, the retail space, I think it's 14 spaces. It's going to have a facade on it, sort of like a Dollywood setup. It'll be art, a couple of food food spaces in there, crafts. But shopping is the most popular thing that tourists do. Overall, you, what are your experiences? What do you like to do the most? And shopping is it. And if you've ever been to Gatlinburg or any of these other places, yeah, you see it. So we're going to have that retail function. One of the biggest things we're, we've added in the last couple of years is the longest aerial gondola in North America. <laughs> I've seen the renderings. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it'd be a triangular ride, about four and a half miles, a 36-minute ride. That feature of itself, from what we've learned in feasibility studies and assessments on attendance, that thing itself will add about 200,000 visitors annually. It'll have its own following. And the other thing it will do, you go back to advertising, You know, every one of those cars is going to have our lo the Boone's Ridge logo on it. We will get more free media than we can ever imagine from it. The, there will be videos, pictures of that gondola and those gondola cars, all social media, all over YouTube. It, it's going to be fantastic, the free media we're going to get. The, it'll be in commercials for years. We're creating a big, audacious tourist attraction to appeal to a lot of people with our message of wildlife conservation, economic development in a region that so badly needs it, and uh, education. That's our three E's of our mission. And yeah, Appalachian Wildlife Foundation, we're going to own and operate Bones Ridge, and we are a 501c3 nonprofit. So this place is going to generate a lot of a lot of revenue, a lot of money, but there's no shareholders in this. I don't own part of it. So all the all the profits have to go to our mission. Now we'll set some aside for an endowment or whatever. But all of our excess revenue we have to spend every year on mission. And in our third full year of operations, our EBITDA is right at just over $20 million. And you can take the T out of EBITDA because we don't pay taxes. We're a nonprofit. So, you know, the original thought was we're a nonprofit. We're small. We got big things we want to do. Where are we going to get the money? Okay, let's build something to generate the revenue. And in the meantime, the very existence of Boone's Ridge is going to have a tremendous economic impact and educational impact. If we never did anything, just the existence of the place is going to be a huge boost to everything around here. Being from there, I mean, it's incredibly exciting to think about having something like this in, in, in the backyard of the many residents that live there. But our region, uh, Eastern Kentucky, especially that location, has long been an extractive economy where outsiders have come in and taken a lot from the region and not really given back. You, you know, you've mentioned 
already alluded to the giving back of this facility of the economic impact that will have what sets Boone's Ridge apart how will it be different what other benefits will the region see in regards to Boone Ridge our education programs are going to be really good we're going to have a you know a university a college angle on that but also a K through 12 programs we've already had students there from University of Tennessee, Virginia Tech, University of Kentucky, Lincoln Memorial University that have done different things, different projects for several years. And we're going to build on those partnerships for internships, uh, research by different universities, student projects, and it could be wildlife students, it can be business students, any number of things. But we want to work with local schools and universities to really capitalize on that and school and regional universities like Virginia Tech and University of Tennessee and UK you know they they do a lot of work in mined landscapes and about 4500 acres of our of our lease has been mined and reclaimed and then it even includes Kentucky's first ever true mountaintop removal coal mine but the education aspect we're also going to give scholarships and it's not just college scholarships but if somebody wants to go to trade school we're going to do scholarships like that. And one of the biggest coups we've pulled uh, university-wise and education-wise is we're now a, an affiliate of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology at Cornell University. Pretty cool. We pretty much nailed that down back in 2017. But if you look at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology website, you can get lost in there for weeks. All the online information they have, the online programs, the graphics, the, the animated graphics, learning about birds and bird watching and bird science and bird conservation, they have got everything. And we're going to feature a lot of their stuff in our visitor center, in our exhibit halls. They also have a tremendous resource of K through 12 educational programs. They, they already supply the books, the materials, the, the way it works, and they build their program to meet STEM education requirements in each state so that teachers can actually use it. Yeah, so from an educational standpoint, and of course, an economic standpoint, and environmentally and resource conservation, I've worked a lot with the coal industry. I've, I was a member of the Kentucky Coal Association for years, got a lot of experience working in these mined landscapes, and there's a lot of potential to do a lot of good things on these old mines. Some of our um, ecological restoration projects be uh, targeted towards that. But one thing that we're really interested in is having a long-term conservation strategy on water quality. The Cumberland River could be a lot nicer. It could be a lot better than it is. It needs a lot. Uh, we need wastewater treatment systems. we got to get the garbage out of it. There's a lot of work that needs to go on there. So on the water quality angle, uh, the Cumberland River will be a a big target for us once we're up and running. From an economic standpoint, like like you mentioned, being from the area, growing up there, there was all, all, always talk of things that might come in. But then there was this counter that, you know, there were no hotels for people to stay. So therefore, nothing could come in. There wasn't anywhere where people could go eat afterward. How do you think this will affect that side of it? I think that's changing a little bit already. There, you're already seeing restaurants pop up here and there. There are some hotels that are thinking about coming in. Do you think that will definitely uh, transform the area in that regard? Yeah, we've been contacted by, in the last three years, I'd say a half a dozen different entities looking at hotels. We've been contacted by some people looking at uh, buying some old houses for bed and breakfast operations. So there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of buzz already happening. And we, we've had some people tell us, well, there's not enough hotels in Pineville or Middlesbrough to support the, the visitor numbers you're projecting. Most of them are not going to stay in Middlesbrough or Pineville. We're going to fill hotels probably from Richmond 
on I-75 down past Tazewell, probably into Morristown, even Knoxville. And, and, and a model for that exists in Kentucky. You know the Ark Encounter in northern Kentucky, the Noah's Ark thing? Uh-huh. There's no hotels at their exit. There's nothing. Uh, there's nothing in Williamstown. But for years, they have filled hotels in Cincinnati, Louisville, Lexington, even Ashland. The bulk of the tourists and the bulk of the tourists that we're going to get, especially for the first three years, are drive tourism tourists. We're going to get people that are driving from Indianapolis or Cincinnati or who knows, St. Louis, and they're going to Hilton Head, they're going to Gatlinburg, they're going to Pigeon Forge. They've seen our advertisements, they've seen our marketing, and they look at a map and they go, you know, let's stop one day here. We'll stop, we'll spend the night in London or Corbin or maybe Middlesbrough. We'll do Boone's Ridge for three-fourths of a day, then we'll, they'll continue on. And see, Bell County has the advantage of doing that because you got Highway 25E, the four-lane divided highway that connects three interstates. You can go somewhere from Bell County. So we looked at sites from West Virginia all the way through East Kentucky down into Tennessee to do this. And a lot of the sites we looked at, we looked at several over on Hazard. One of the problems there with trying to get a lot of tourists is you can't go anywhere after you go to Hazard. You got to go to Hazard and turn around and go somewhere else. With this Bell County site and 25E, you can you can zip right down anywhere you want to go. Pigeon Forge or, say, uh, the Carolina coast. You come down I-75, if, you know, traditionally you go to Knoxville, then you you turn left on I-40 East. So it's a big right angle. With 25E, you can cut the hypotenuse. And it's a little bit shorter. Now, the red lights in the towns kind of slow it down. But uh, 25E is a huge asset. And that's the reason it was built. That's the reason it was four-laned all the way through to the to, I-81 in, in Morristown. So that's going to be a big benefit for us. You know, we spoke about it in the beginning, something of this magnitude, especially in the area that you're building this this site. I'm sure there were a few setbacks along the way. You, you want to talk about any of the challenges you've had? I, I know the, the final product has been pushed back a couple of times. <laughs> has there been some challenges along the way, some that you have obviously overcome? Oh, man, we may have to do two or three more episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's been extremely difficult. Everything has taken 10 times longer than you really think it should, even some of the most basic things. So time has always been a factor. There's always a, a big challenge, you know, raising money, getting the funding. COVID sure as heck didn't help. I mean, man, it it got, um, yeah, there was pretty dark days. Describe it as an unending high hurdle race. You're, you're, you're jumping hurdles, jumping hurdles, jumping hurdles. You look up, oh man, there's a finish line. And then 20 more hurdles pop up. It just never ends. Yeah, that, that's been a real challenge. Also, it's unusual for an organization like ours to actually do something. There are There's a bunch of other nonprofits that operate in Appalachia, not just Kentucky, but, you know, to, to make a new economy, to, to do things, to save things. And they get a lot of money and you start really figuring out what they do and they do a lot of talking. They collaborate, they convene, they plan. There's all sorts of money available for planning and collaboration and convening. And suddenly, uh, here's David and Frank. They're actually implementing what about 10 plans from the last 20 years have said we need to do. They're implement, they're doing it. It's it's been really strange that there's so much more money available to what I like to say, sit around and braid each other's ponytails and and, <laughs> and have a bonk, a drum circle, as opposed to actually building a business that's going to make a difference. So that's been a challenge. You know, one of the things that's just been an annoyance has been the uh, the naysayers. I, I experienced that again yesterday. <laughs> I laugh, you know, but the naysayers, there's a special kind of fatalism in East Kentucky. Everybody is Eeyore. 
nothing good can ever happen here. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah, the fatalism, the negativity, that's been a challenge, but you just get past it. But a lot of people have been very supportive from down there. A lot of people very supportive, very excited about what we're doing. But um, you know, the biggest challenge, of course, is always raising money. We'll always be in the hustling to raise money. Technically, I'm the only employee of the Appalachian Wildlife Foundation. We outsource everything to avoid all sorts of issues. And we've been successful at that. But I can tell you right now, I've had probably two years of the last nine years during significant periods of time. I didn't get paid. A lot of it was during COVID. But, you know, things get rough and, you know, you liquidate your 401k to keep things running and to keep your family running. And for some reason, my wife never told me to go out and get a job. I don't know if I would have been as patient as she has been, but she just says, you know, I've always believed that, you know, you guys are going to succeed. But yeah, there's been some very difficult times, very difficult. But we've had some some nice victories. I mean, to date, we've raised $76 million. Now we're working on a lot more. And it's been the federal grants, state grants, a lot of private money, loans, a lot of different things. Neil and I, being from that area, we definitely commend you for overcoming those challenges, for staying the course, for being just being there. We talk all the time on the show about doers. It sounds like you and Frank are a couple of doers that are trying to accomplish your mission and really get something done in that area. But I, I appreciate you saying that. And a lot of people down there do appreciate what we're doing. We know that. Respect that. But yeah, but it's it's been on a long road and you know we're not done yet. <laughs> you know, the, the thing right now, man, is inflation. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Everything is 10 times more than it was five years ago. So yes, there's a lot of that. The, the inflation thing is real. It's absolutely real. From what I heard from the beginning, you, you know, one one of the biggest areas that you all want to focus on is marketing. So we'll we'll give you opportunity. Do you have a 30 second elevator pitch for why? <laughs> People should want to oh, come to Boone's Ridge and stay for the weekend or for the week. Yeah, I'm not really good. At, I, I haven't perfected <laughs> this yet, and it drives me nuts. Boone's Ridge will be a national tourist destination where somebody that wants to come escape the hustle and to see beautiful country and to see wildlife and maybe learn something. Or if you want to come and, and shop and experience world-class art, Boone's Ridge is a place you can go. It's safe. It's uh, an adventure. And the safe thing is interesting. I didn't really appreciate at the beginning how many people were actually afraid to go outside. And I'm exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> but I have led several tours down there with people in a truck or an ATV or in groups. And you stop to get out and look at something pretty neat. And they're scared to get out of the truck because we have bears down there or they see a butterfly and they're actually scared of butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> so we, when you see safe in, in a lot of our write-ups, it's because of that facet of our clientele. But yeah, it's, it's a family-friendly, safe adventure in the outdoors in a place that's beautiful. You can see wildlife, experience nature. You can eat an excellent meal, art. Speaking of safe, t- tell me about the gondola and how, how that'll work. And what that'll what what guests can expect from that? Okay, it's a triangular route. So the the starting point will be down uh, near the building, the visitor center, probably four hundred yards away is where it'll start. And right where it starts, we'll have a bunch of signs, interpretive signage, explaining what you're going to see. And we're and we're doing it from an educational lean. We'll have one that just describes the mountains that you're going to see. You got Pine Mountain and Brush Mountain that are our northern and our southern boundary. And those were the last two ridges 
that were rippled up when you had Pangea, Africa collided with the Carolina coast and pushed all those mountains up in the Appalachian chain. And, you know, they're both over a hundred miles long, unbroken, except for Cumberland Gap and they're forested. So they're really important for migratory corridors, for birds, bears, deer, elk. I mean, they're just highways, especially for black bears. They're absolute highways, but we'll talk about what created those mountains and then all the ridges in between where the coal is about how those were created through erosion and that's why they just go in all different directions and pine mountain and brush mountain or linear parallel ridges so we'll talk about the geologic history we'll talk about the mining history we'll just point out if you look to your left across that valley six miles away that part of the mountain is a contour mine that's an area mine you're gliding over a mountaintop removal coal mine you know anywhere that's up high you see grass that's an old coal mine so we'll point out the mines but also the different habitat types, grassland habitat, where we get a lot of grassland habitat birds. It just so happens that birds that live in grasslands overall are the species that are the, in the most trouble as far as their future. Any bird that evolved to live in the prairie can't find prairie anymore. It's all corn and soybeans and it's agriculture or it's horse farms or forest or residential. But these big mine landscapes provide grasslands that are big enough. It's a big enough scale where we actually have breeding grassland birds there. So we'll talk about a lot of that. Of course, you'll be able to see elk and everything else from the gondola. Along the four and a half mile path, I think the lowest point from the ground, once you get started, is about 25 feet. The highest point right now is 140 feet when it crosses a, a big valley. It's a 36-minute ride. So when you leave from the station at the village and you go to what we call the knob, you'll be able to get off of it up there. And we'll have a trail around the knob that will be a stroller-friendly, wheelchair-friendly, ADA-accessible. But you go around that knob and see everything in 360 degrees. Uh, and there will be signage there about what you're seeing, you know, educational. When you Then you get back on, you leave from that station, it goes to a different point. To what we're, Right now we're calling the grassy knoll. I don't like that because it makes me think about who shot Kennedy. You get off there, and there will be a series of trails you can walk and wildflower displays, a lot of bird information, just a nice venture. Then you get back on, you go back to the to the village station. Each car will hold eight people. I think our beginning number of cars, I think, is 46. The cars are designed and built by Porsche. And the company we got a contract with to build it is out of France. They build them all over the world. They're building one right now in Saudi Arabia. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And I, you know, we talked to them about I said, guys, you know, some of these slopes are pretty steep. You're going to be doing this on. And they said, hey, we, do, we, we build them on glaciers. We build gondolas in the Alps. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a problem. It's pretty amazing. This is going to be a big deal. It's going to be a huge deal. And I, I can only imagine the massive amount of, of uh, just students throughout all of eastern Kentucky and, and other areas that are going to come and get get to learn <laughs> from this tremendous project that that you've uh, taken on so kudos to you again we're hoping to reach 100 our goal is 100,000 students a year yeah school groups can come and we've already you know sort of drew a circle on the map of all the counties that are within three counties that a day trip is obviously uh, is easy for a school group one of the problems especially the schools in east kentucky they might not be able to afford a bunch of school buses for field trips all the time we'll pay for that and we'll have sponsor donors to pay for those things we'll definitely work with the schools we want to get schools there we talked yeah. about people coming to boone's ridge but there's a, a number of other things that they can do 
in the area as well. So when they come and are staying for Boone's Ridge, you know, they can extend their stay. Just it's just getting people here is the hurdle that we have always had in Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia. Once they're here, they truly understand the beauty, the natural assets that we do have, which is something that Boone's Ridge will do. But speaking of that, you know, when people come here and the things around Boone's Ridge, what there is to do, just a couple of quick questions for you. What's your favorite thing to do in the area? Oh, well, uh, besides wildlife viewing, uh, me and my, my youngest son like to go to Wasito Winds and play golf. Nice. What's your favorite restaurant in the area? Right off the top of my head, sauced and, um, and shades. Really important question. Cornbread or biscuits? No biscuits. <laughs> that was an easy answer for you. Yeah, biscuits, but my, but, but my wife He's makes my wife makes some cornbread that's almost like yellow cake. Yeah, that's the northern cornbread. That's yeah, really, she it's yeah, sugar in it. Yeah, it's got sugar. Yeah, I'm not much on the the cornbread that's like sawdust, you know, just pasted together. But no, I'd say biscuits. Yeah. Another question that we always ask everybody, and I'm always interested to hear, and I can almost guess what your answer is going to be. But what's the first thing that you think about when you hear the word Appalachia? I'd say the, the region, the area. You know, it's interesting, um, even though North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, South Carolina, West Virginia, Virginia, that's all the Appalachian chain. Places like Asheville, Gatlinburg, the touristy areas, they don't use the word Appalachia. They don't do it. It's the Smoky Mountains. It's the Blue Ridge. It's the Nantahala. They don't use the word Appalachia. I don't know if that was intentional or what, but you don't hear it there. It's the Smokies. It's the Blue Ridge. It's the, it's different mountains. It's different stuff. Man, there's a real dichotomy there. I mean, there's, there's, there's some positives. There's some negatives too that go with it that I didn't come up with, but I've, I've had people ask me questions about East Kentucky that you know, kind of baffled me. I had one guy call me one time. It's been five, six years ago. He got drawn for an elk tag. He's from Cincinnati. He heard that I knew the elk herd, whatever. And he found my number and he called me just looking for some advice tips on, um, you know, where do I go? And, you know, he's looking at going to hazard hunting somewhere around hazard. He talked to a guide and he said, he said, I'm wanting to come down a few times a summer and do some scouting and, and looking around. I ne never been there. He said, uh, I'm just going to ask you a question. He said, I hope I don't offend you, but I'd like to bring my wife and kids with me. Is it really safe, you know, to bring my wife and kids? And I kind of, my jaw kind of dropped and I thought, what? But you know, that's a very real perception. It's a very real perception. And I said, look, I said, where do you live? He said, Cincinnati. I said, okay, are there streets in Cincinnati that you don't want to walk down at one o'clock in the morning on a Friday night? He said, oh God, yeah. I said, okay, Hazard doesn't have any of those. <laughs> now, Hazard is pretty, pretty modern. I mean, they got a Hampton Inn, a Holiday Inn Express, a Applebee's. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's. Yeah, but I said, but you know, I yeah, I know what you're talking about. But so there's some positives and negatives there. And the other thing is that everybody want to help Appalachia until it's time to help Appalachia. Right. Yeah. Everybody, everybody wants to talk about it until it's time to do it. Um, yeah. So that's right. been interesting. It's always interesting to hear different perspectives. And we, we again, appreciate you all doing it rather than just talking about it. One, one last question that we ask all our guests as well. You already alluded to it. You know, you said you were from Eastern East Tennessee. Place and perspective is really important for this podcast. It's really important for us. It's really important for Appalachia. Just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? Yeah, well, I grew up in East Tennessee. I moved there when I was nine years old. Uh, my dad worked for the Exxon Corporation. And uh, right out of college, he got hired by him. And we moved all over the country for eight years. And then he got a chance to move to live next to the Smoky Mountains. That's where he used to go for 
vacation when he was a kid. He used to go to Gatlinburg and go to the Smokies, and he just fell in love with it. And then when we were living in Mobile, Alabama, and they were going to move him again, and he had his choice of three places to go. And when he saw that the Knoxville office was one of them, he said, that's where I'm going. You know, we moved to East Tennessee, eight miles from the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. We were like kids in a candy store, and I was a kid. But we, we were every weekend, we were picnics trout fishing in the Smokies. We were hiking in the Smokies. We were camping in the Smokies. And that's just how I grew up. When I got a little older and had friends that were neighbors and the friends I went to school with, I came to the realization they didn't go to the Smokies. I would talk about hiking to Clingman's Dome or Gregory's Bald, and they, and they had no idea what I was talking about. So that thing about taking it for granted, yeah, people who live there take it for granted. But that's home. That's where I grew up. It used to be a rural county, and now it's just... Yeah, real estate prices are crazy and it's a boom, a boom town, but it's still beautiful. But that that's home. That's yeah, a great answer. Maybe your dad could attest to this. Neil and I say all the time, there's a little bit of magic in the mountains of Appalachia. And it, you know, once you get away, they always draw you back. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned something while ago about the beauty of it. I've been really surprised at how many people from Kentucky that I've taken to Boone's Ridge for a tour or a visit that get there. And these people have been in Kentucky forever and they get there and they go, oh my God, I didn't know Kentucky had a place like this. <laughs> they didn't know. They've used uh, the term, this place looks like Wyoming or it looks like Jurassic Park. Looks like out of Africa. I mean, this place is incredible. <laughs> they said, I didn't know Kentucky had any place like this. You just got to get them here. That's that's yeah. the that's the key. Yeah, you do. You know, Bell County has a population of 26,000 people. We're going to bring a million people a year that aren't from there to Boone's Ridge. It's going to take about three years to do that, but we're going to bring a million people a year and they're going to spend money that stays there. That, yeah, you were talking about the extractive industry and, you know, besides the wages that people got paid, maybe some lease fees, all of the billions generated from the mining, the sale, the resale and the use of coal, the money went somewhere else. It's really sad to look at all of East, East Kentucky now and think of the God knows how many billions of dollars of coal that have come out of these mountains. And there's not one county in East Kentucky in the coal fields that has a decent water system. <laughs> they don't have a decent wastewater system. I look at what in Martin County, you know, population of 6,000, most, just about all of Martin County is a mountaintop removal coal mine and the billions and billions and billions of dollars. And they can't have clean drinking water. That's sad. But the, the the business that we generate, the money will stay there. When a million people come, they're going to inject about $202 million into the, the regional economy. That's a bunch. That's amazing. That's bunch. For the local residents that want to capitalize on it and benefit from it financially, business-wise, some will. And they'll get up and get after it and do some things. And that's what you got to have. Well, David, thank you so much for the time. You know, we really appreciate you Spend a little moment with us. We know you're busy, but enlightening us on the stuff you're doing, the experience that will be Boone's Ridge. And like you said, just being doers and really doing it there. Do you want to let our listeners know before we let you go, just where they can find out more about Boone's Ridge? I know you have a website where they can go for that and any other items that they might find interesting in regards to Boone's Ridge. Yeah, our website right now is it's the three W's, boonsridge.com, no apostrophe in it. But boonsridge.com, we're in the process of redesigning the website. So it'll it'll look the same for a few more months. But yeah, boonsridge.com just gives some very basics about what we're doing. Anybody that saw this wanted to uh, contribute to the effort, there's a number and an address on there where you can contact us. When will it be completed? Uh, we're scheduled to open July 
It's either 12th or the 21st. I always get it confused of next year. We've been told that this is the biggest development happening right now in all of central Appalachia, not just East Kentucky. Are you familiar with uh, Harry Caudill's book, Night Comes to the Cumberlands? Yeah. That book was published in 1962. And near the end of that book, he talks about how tourism is the one thing that could have a sustainable economy that a lot of people could benefit from in East Kentucky. And he outlined pretty much, you know, how you need to do it. Well, it's finally coming together. And I tell you one of the limitations in the past that has kept it from happening with the coal industry and the land ownership pattern, we had a real challenge finding a property that we could actually do something with. So many of these coal properties and old mine sites, these people on the surface, these people on the coal, the mineral rights, these people own the natural gas, and then another company actually owns the timber. Oh, and this company has a 60-year lease on the property. It's been a major issue in eastern Kentucky. Yeah, it's Humpty Dumpty. It's like the land is Humpty Dumpty. I don't know how you put that back together. <laughs> yeah. Because you try to get a property that you could do something with, and you can't. Well, you know, the mineral owners got this right. You talk to the mineral, are you willing to give this up? No, I'm not mine coal there in 40 years. Okay, fine, whatever. But that is a huge limiting factor. But on this property we got now, it just worked out. You had the industrial park and Asher Land and Mineral that owns everything in fee. So without that, I don't know that we could do it. We're glad you found it. And again, we appreciate your time and, and thank you for spending it with us. All right. Well, thank you, guys. So, Neil, man, what'd you think about that? I'm still kind of processing it all. Trying to figure out how it all is going to work, man. I know he did a great job of explaining things to us, but seems remarkable. Yeah. So, uh, do you have an at biz of the week for me today? Yeah. Since most of this show was focused on the project, obviously in Bell County, we wanted to make the at biz of the week one of the businesses that Mr. Lefford mentioned. It's called Sauced. It's a pizza shop that started in Pineville. By Mike and Gina Wilson. They're both University of Kentucky grads. She was in marketing. He managed restaurants. And they came together and decided in 2017 that they wanted to start this restaurant concept. This really a pizza restaurant, but it's a little bit more than that. So it started in 2017 in downtown Pineville. It's become a major success, having grown. Now they have another location in London, Kentucky. So I just wanted to point them out. If you're ever in that area, check out Sauce. It's an excellent, amazing pizza shop there in downtown Pineville, in downtown London. Handcrafted menu items, including pizza, fresh sauces, pastas, signature salads. It's really a great place. And they also had a pretty cool story. We'll put it, obviously, in the show notes as the app biz of the week, check out their story, go to the website, check out their story, read a little bit, see their passion for this restaurant, passion for the communities that they're in. Just a great concept, great restaurant, cool story. We just wanted to promote them a little bit as the app biz of the week. We want to thank David Ledford again for all he's doing with Boone's Ridge to not only revitalize that small piece of land, help the entire area in regards to Economic recovery, economic development, community development, education, everything we talked about in the show. It's a really amazing project, one that's taken a long time to come to fruition, but one that's really important for the benefits of the region as a whole. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot, Will. And with that, I guess we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. 
Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter, the air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong. I'm in the mountains.